this morning. If you have your Bible with you, we'll be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. We're going to be talking today about pursuing the goal. As we're getting closer to the end of, of this book, uh, this the study we're going through in the book of Philippians, Paul is going to be talking in this passage about pursuing his goal, the goal that he has, uh, reaching forward to God's goal. So what I want to challenge you with and have you to think about as we start looking at this passage today is what are some goals that you have in your life? And I want us to start small because we all have goals, whether we acknowledge them explicitly as goals that we have in our life. There are things we set out to do and then hopefully accomplish. That's a goal, right? So what are you working toward? What are some small things? So Today, you've even achieved some goals. Get to church on time. Well, get to church. Maybe, maybe it wasn't on time, but you got here, right? Today, you set out to get to church, and if you're here today, you're at church. You achieved a goal of yours. You have other goals, right? To do well at work, to, to, to raise g- good kids. We, we got to celebrate graduates today who set out a goal to, to graduate, to, to get the diploma. Now they are setting out on another goal to start their career, uh, to go further in their education. So what goals do you have in your life? What goals have you achieved that you set out to achieve? What goals have you failed to achieve? What goals that you have in your life have changed? Where you used to be going after one thing, but you realized that wasn't what you really wanted, and you've since begun to chase other goals. Then I want to challenge you to think about what is the ultimate goal of your life? What is your go- the goal of your life? The main thing you are working for. What is your life about? What is the purpose of your life? And I want you to look at that in two ways. What in your head you have just decided the goal of your life is, and then to look at your life and to consider what is the way you live your life say the goal of your life is. The way you spend your time, energy, money, your, your desires, what, what do those things say if you were to observe your life? What is the observable goal of your life? Today's passage, we will be looking at what the ultimate goal of the Christian life is. If you are a Christian, this should be your goal in life. And Paul makes that clear, makes it clear it's the goal of his life and that all believers that are mature should think the same way. He says it explicitly that way in this passage. So with that, we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already made perfect, but I I make every effort to take hold of it because I, have, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, And we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform 
the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the ability to gather together this morning to look at what your word says for our life, what it says to us and how we can live our life for you. God, as we spend some time in this passage, as we spend some time looking at what the Bible clearly says is the goal of our life, I pray that you would help us to examine ourselves, examine our hearts, our actions, our attitudes, and see how we can submit those things to you and to be faithful in pursuing you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if we look at this passage, the two verses before that kind of are are necessary in seeing. I'm going to read to you uh, verse 10 and 11. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Last week we talked about knowing Christ and, and knowing him, having this relationship with him, and that is the goal, to realize this knowledge of who he is in eternity. And then he says, picking up in this passage, not that I've already attained the goal. Not that I'm already there yet. A few moments ago, I asked you what the goal in your life is. And Paul makes it very clear what the goal of his life is. In Philippians 3.10, My goal is to know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And then in this passage, in 3.14, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The question that we have to ask, why is this the goal he's pursuing? Is this just, are we ingrained with this knowledge? Is this what we naturally are inclined to? The answer to that is no, very obviously. The gospel tells us we're inclined to sin and to to rebel against God. So why now is his goal to pursue God, to pursue this eternal reward, this heavenly life with God? Philippians 3.12, I make every effort to take a hold of it, because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. That is the essential component to this process. If you are a Christian, that means you have been taken hold of, as Paul says, by Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done in us, we pursue different things. Because of the work that God has done in our lives, in our heart, changed us, transformed us, our goals and the the goal and purpose of our life changes. Think about the Apostle Paul here, right? He was Saul. He was pursuing his own righteousness. We talked about that in a previous week, how he had all of these reasons to be proud of himself and proud of the way he lived his life, that if, if you judged him by the law, he was as good as anybody. He was born in the right family, did all the right things. But when he met Jesus, everything changed. By what he was doing, he ended up up finding himself rebelling against Jesus and what God was doing in the world through Jesus. But Christ took a hold of him. While he was on the way to do more harm to the church, the bright light blinding him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And from that moment on, when Jesus stepped into Saul's life, everything changed. This process of transformation, renewal, salvation that came and because of that everything changed everything that he had known before remember he said he counts it as trash as as nothing in pursuit of this 
goal. So what does that mean for each of us? Does that mean that you have to lay aside any and every goal that you've had in your life that isn't following Christ? Does that mean that you can't have any aspirations at all? The answer to that is no. You, you can pursue things in your life. You should seek to do things, to use the talents and gifts that God has given you. But it does mean that this should be our ultimate goal. Nothing should come in between our pursuit of following God and to knowing who He is. All of the other goals we have should fit into this pursuit of the greater goal. If anytime you're going on a trip, and it never fails that this happens to me, right? You're going on a trip, you're like, I, I really am getting kind of hungry, and I want to find something to eat. And for some reason, you're on a trip, Chick-fil-A always sounds good, as long as it's not on a Sunday, right? And then you go, and you have to cancel the trip you're on on your, on your phone, the GPS, and put in the next one. And it wants to tell you to turn around and go 30 miles the other direction, right? Because that's the closest one. You're not going to do that. Because your main goal is to get your, to your destination. The food is something you're doing because you have to eat and, you, and you're looking for some sustenance, right? So you'll pick something that's in line with your ultimate destination. There may be things in, in our lives, in each of our lives, that, that when we look at them, they don't fit into what God's calling us to do. And when those things don't fit in, we do have to lay them aside. They aren't in and of themselves inherently sinful, but we have to lay them aside if they don't fit into what God's calling us to do. Because we each must determine, each of us individually, we all have this common shared goal of pursuing the heavenly call in Christ Jesus, our eternal award that awaits living a life that glorifies God. But how we live that out in this life will look different for each of us. We all must determine what God is calling us to do in this life. The lowest common denominator, the lowest common point of agreement for Christians Pursuing the prize of the heavenly call in Christ Jesus. But from there, we all have specific things that become clear that God is calling us to do in our lives. Things like being called to ministry. It's not something that everyone is called to do. One of the pieces of advice that someone gave me very early on in my pursuing my call to ministry was, if you can do anything else in your life, do it. Because if you have been called to ministry, truly, you won't be able to do anything else. And if you haven't been called to ministry, you should not do it. It's not something you do just because you want to. It's a, it's a calling that's placed on your life. The same thing with being a missionary. If you're being called to be a missionary, it's not faithful for you to stay where you're at. You should, you should go to where God is calling you. Working with kids. There are some people that you'll encounter in your life that are so good with children and, and sharing the gospel and teaching them and loving them that they have been gifted and they should be doing that. The same goes with working with students, teaching Sunday school, laboring behind the scenes, Fill in the blank. Every Christian has a role to play in, in God's church. A role to play in the proclamation of the gospel, in, in the discipleship of new believers. Every Christian has a role. There's a, there is no role that is, that is simple bystander. It is not God's will for the Christian to, to attend church, to consume, and to do nothing with it. To not use our gifts and abilities to serve the church, to build up the church, to proclaim the gospel. So you have to determine in your life, what is God calling you to do? It's going to look different. God's not going to call each two people to the very same thing. But he's calling you to something. And you have to de determine what is God calling you to do. And all of our goals in this life should be subservient and aligned with the goals that we know God is calling us to do. 
And, and at a base level, there are some things that would be sinful for any Christian to do, to, to neglect the heavenly goal. There are some things that people choose to do. They even make money doing them in their life that are blatantly sinful. You shouldn't be doing those things. But on a more individual base, there are goals that may not be sinful outright, but they take us off track from our specific callings that God has placed on our life. I want you to think of the story of Jonah. And I want you to consider a question. Is it sinful, or was it sinful in that time, for a person to go to the city of Tarshish? Is that a sinful thing to do? No. Right? And, and in that time, you probably could even think that maybe it would be better to go to Tarshish than to Nineveh because of the reputation Nineveh had. Right? It was a city that's about to be destroyed because of its sinfulness. But do you know what is sinful? To go to Tarshish when God has called you to go to Nineveh. That was the problem that Jonah had in his life. He knew, and we don't all have this afforded luxury in our lives to be told vocally and audibly by God, I'm telling you to do this. And, and I'll, I'll tell you something today. I, I think that many of us would, would think we would like that. We would like for God to speak to us audibly and say, I'm telling you to do this with your life. But do you really want that? Would you be obedient to that? Because what God is telling Jonah to do is to go to a people who have been oppressive and hateful and full of corruption, telling them to repent. And he doesn't want to do it. Do you know why? Because he knows that if they do repent, God will grant them mercy. And because of Jonah's sinful heart and his fleshly heart, because he's a person, he doesn't want to do it. The reality of life is that a lot of the things that God calls us to do are very difficult. They're hard. And we might think we want God's audible voice to tell us, this is what I'm calling you to do. But if God audibly told you today, the person that you can't stand the most, go share them my love. Love them in my name. I want you to sell everything you have to go to a foreign land. Would you do that today? This is the question we have to deal with as, as we see what God has called us to do in our life. Are the things we're pursuing getting in the way of that? We need to make sure we, we consider that. And if we know what God is calling us to do, we, make sure, we must make sure that we don't do what Jonah did and go the opposite direction. We must be faithful in following where he leads Paul says that making our goal, the ultimate goal of pursuing our heavenly reward, pursuing eternity with Christ, that our ultimate goal is a mark of maturity in Christ. He says in Philippians 3.15, Therefore, let all who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. Paul says that making everything you do about pursuing Christ is what all mature Christians should do. And if he says, if you disagree, God will reveal it to them also. I think that's something we forget a lot of times that when we come to Christ, we are infants in Christ. All that is necessary for salvation is that we know that we are sinners. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, for our sins, and was raised from the dead. We believe in what Jesus has done, what God has done through Jesus for our salvation. And if we believe that, then we can be saved. We will call on his name. And there are so many things that if you think back to the moment of your salvation that you did not know. There are so many ways that you have grown in your faith from the time that you, you, you believed, you, you confessed your sin and believed, I'm a sinner and I want to be saved. From that moment, 
hopefully, hopefully there are so many things you've become aware of of what it means to follow God, the, the bigness of God, who God is, the way that he loves you, the way that he's done things for you. Hopefully there's so much of a gap between here and now that you've learned so many things. You've become mature in your faith. But this means that there's a process, this sanctification, this discipleship that happens from the moment of salvation to maturity in Christ. There have been so many things in my life that I was wrong about from the point of my salvation to now that I had to learn and to grow. And do you know, do you know how that happened? Through faithful people teaching and instructing me and loving me through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within believers, through, through the, the truth of God's Word that helps us to grow and to know Him in, in a more sure and confident way. And, and from that place, I have arrived to where I am now. And in 20, 30 years from now, I'll be in a different place than I am today. And so when we see people that are infants in Christ, and they hold different perspectives than we have, when they hold a different view than we have. Maybe it's about this, maybe it's about other things. Our attitude should be that of Paul, knowing that they are immature infants in Christ and believing that the God who saved them from their sin is big enough to also conform and to transform their mind to, reveal, to, be, to believe the revealed truth. Right. So there's people you're going to see in this life that they're pursuing other things other than eternity as Christians. Do you know what that is? It's a mark of immaturity in their walk with Christ. That is not to discredit their salvation. That is not to discredit them, but should be a point that we pray that they will have a revealing to them of what matters the most. In the same way, there will be people who, who have doubts and questions about their faith. Our prayer for them is that God will reveal the truth of Scripture, the truth, His truth to them. And as we walk through this process, we come alongside them with sound teaching, sound doctrine, love in the name of Christ, and help them to conform and to know this truth. Our call is to bear with those who are mature, teaching them, correcting them, rebuking them, while loving them in the name of Christ. We all have one goal, to pursue the heavenly call in Christ Jesus, to pursue the specific things God has called each of us to do, but we must be obedient in both of those things. So now we've identified very clearly what the goal is, to pursue God, to pursue this heavenly reward, to pursue what Christ has prepared for us. And in doing that, we must acknowledge and to, and to see the things that we have not achieved the goal. The same way Paul says that he has not achieved the goal, but is constantly working toward that goal. And he says in this that he forgets what is behind and reaches forward to what is ahead. Now this is really good advice for any goal that you might have. If you want to succeed, forgetting what is behind and looking forward to the present goal is a must. There's two ways this can, can come up. You cannot allow your past failure to overwhelm you where, where you get to the point where you give up. Right? That's something that Satan will, will try to do and the world tries to do to you as well. When you're pursuing something, when you fail, the temptation is to give up. To allow these things that have happened to overwhelm you, to pull you down. It's not worth it. You're not good enough. You're not going to ever be able to do it to give up. Think about what Edison said, right? On, on 10,000 ways that he failed. He said, I have not failed, but found 10,000 ways that did not work. 
Imagine if he had stopped at the 9,000th failure. He forgot what was behind and kept focused on what his goal was. Focusing on failure will prevent you from moving toward the goal. And this is the other thing. Maybe you keep trying to go forward, but you still are focused on what has happened in the past. Have you ever ridden a bike? Especially if you've ridden a road bike, this is a common problem that you can find. When you look backward, you immediately drift off course. If you're riding a bike and you start to look, you turn and you drift off course. So if you're trying to move forward while constantly looking backward, you're not going to be headed in the right direction. In the same way, focusing on your successes in the past can distract you and make you feel confident, overconfident, and, and less zealous about pursuing your goal. One of my favorite movie series of all time is, is the Rocky movie series. And in the third movie, Rocky has enjoyed being a champion. He's enjoying the famous lifestyle, all the money that he's got. And there comes a new challenger. And he's not focused on this goal. And he loses because he hasn't worked. He hasn't pursued anything. He's focused on what's already happened. In the same way, when we focus on past successes, we lose sight of what we're commonly or, or what we are working toward. We become comfortable and complacent. Now, I want to I challenge you with this because you have to remember what has happened, right? When you fail, you should remember the ways that you failed so that you don't do it again, right? You don't want to make the same mistake twice if you can help it. And when there has been success and when good things have happened, you should remember those good things. We should remember the way that God has worked in our lives, the way that God has been faithful to his promises. But we do not and should not focus on those things to the point where they distract us from the goal we are pursuing. We don't focus on our sins and our failures other than that God has freed us and forgiven us from them and so that we don't do them again. We don't focus on the things that God has done in the past and wish that it would return. Right? It's really easy to look back and say, man, I remember this point in my life where I was at, at a conference or I was at a revival and God moved in this way and, and the pews were filled and everything was wonderful and perfect. It's wonderful. It's good that that happened. But if, if we focus on that at the point that we forget and, and don't realize that God will do greater things still, and we don't pursue that, we can't allow the past successes, the past failures, to distract us from what God is going to do in the future. Because God can and will do greater things than we've experienced. The heavenly goal that we're pursuing is greater than any thing you've experienced in this life. Any positive interaction with, with God, any great thing you've experienced, any spiritual high, what awaits is greater still than that. So what, do, what does it mean that we forget what is behind and reach forward to what is ahead, pursuing the goal promised in Christ Jesus? We forget what is behind our sinful lives. We, all, we don't allow Satan to beat us down, reminding of us our past, of our past in Christ, we are forgiven and freed from any shame to live a life confident in Him. We forget our worldly lives. There is temptation to remember and to want for the days before Christ. The Israelites, they, they said they wished they'd stayed in Egypt. And Lot's wife, as they left, looked back at what she was leaving. We shouldn't reminisce and, and want for what we were saved from. And we forget the past success, knowing that what is to come is greater still. Paul makes another statement about how we should pursue our goal. Philippians 3.16, In any case, we should live up to whatever truth 
we have attained. When you know truth about God, about what it means to be obedient to God, the challenge is to put it into practice. There are many places in life where your ability determines your placement, right? In sports, we don't have people that are professional athletes coming and playing in recreational leagues or playing on little league teams. There's rules that prevent someone that has had previous professional experience from playing in more amateur leagues like college divisions. In school, you don't graduate from, from high school and then go back to kindergarten. You don't advance to be a, a supervisor or an overseer in your workplace and then go and work and do an entry-level job every day. When you have skills and abilities and knowledge that you have attained in life, you have to live and act like you've attained those things. It wouldn't make sense to have all the ability in the world to be able to lead a company but then go and do a very entry-level job. This is what this means in this passage. Only let us live up to whatever truth we have attained. In the same way, when we've matured in our faith, we should live as though we possess that maturity. When we know what God is calling us to do, how we should live our lives, what sin we should abstain from, what good we should be doing, it is our obligation to do it. Too often the temptation is for Christians to de develop a great and deep understanding of God and His Word with very little application. God does not desire simply that you know more about Him, that you grow in your knowledge of what God's Word says, but that you would grow in that knowledge and because of that, put it into action in your life. That your life would reflect the maturity that your intellect and your knowledge has helped you to achieve. Being a Christian is very simple to do what God has said, but it is not easy. Knowing what God wants you to do is easy. Putting it into practice is where the difficulty comes in. This is where we will face difficulty and pushback and struggle in this world. And we see also in this passage that we do all of this, we learn how to do this by imitating those who've set a good example for us in their lives. When we don't know what to do specifically, we look to the example of faithful men and women who have done it before us. You can think, I am sure, in your life of people that have lived a life that was obedient to God. They lived a life where they were obedient. They did what God called them to do. If, they, if you are confident they did what God called them to do, live like them. That's what Paul says. Continue to imitate those who live according to what I've taught you. If you aren't sure what to do and you have an example before you of people who've been faithful, of your parents, your, your Sunday school teachers, whoever it may be, imitate them. If they've been faithful, imitate them. Follow what they, the, the example that they have set before you. And in turn, seek to set an example for those that come after you. For those who will look to your example of how to follow God, make sure that it is one that is obedient and faithful. And we do all of this because we want to arrive at our goal. Philippians 3.18, kind of going back over that, what it says is, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Paul says in this 
passage that our citizenship is in heaven. And we value, in the place where we are, our context, we value citizenship a lot in this country. We are thankful to live in a land with freedom where we can come together on, on Sunday morning and worship freely and to, to study God's word, to proclaim it freely. And we're thankful for those who've, who've defended that right. But regardless of how much we may value this citizenship or how people, Christian brothers and sisters around the world may value their citizenship where they live, the common thing of all Christians is that our citizenship, our primary identity, is as citizens of heaven. That we are pursuing a heavenly citizenship to, to realize and to know this reward that we're pursuing. The, the realization of it, to live in this. And we remember constantly that this is purchased by Christ. We are adopted into this new citizenship, giving, given this citizenship through the salvation found in Christ. And this is the same attitude we see of those in Hebrew chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. This is often referred to as the hall of faith, where it talks about those people in the Old Testament that were faithful to God, and, and their faith was what was credited to them as righteousness. And Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16 says this, that these all died in faith, Although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a great distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they were, if they were thinking where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return, but na they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them." We have to remember that all we do and all we are pursuing is in pursuit of our heavenly goal. Our citizenship is in heaven, not here. We are to live as foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Have you ever been in a situation or a place where you were the, where the people around you didn't speak the same language as you? Or you were maybe in a different country or just in a place where people didn't speak the same language? You probably felt pretty out of place. Didn't feel like you fit in. Or maybe you, you've heard of the phrase, the fish, a, a fish out of water, right? It doesn't belong there. It should be somewhere else. That is how Christians ought to feel in this world. The, the closer that we grow to God, the closer we are to Him, the more we are aware of what awaits us, the more we identify with that being our citizenship and where we belong, and we begin to look around and say, hey, these things that used to interest me, these things that I used to be living for, they don't interest me anymore. The sin I was used, once a slave to disgusts me. I don't want, I don't want, I just want my heavenly reward to be at home with my father, to be freed from the pain and the struggle in this life. This world is not your home. And if it isn't your home, there should be a clear disconnect between you and those around you who don't follow Christ. You should feel as though you don't belong because your home is somewhere else. And this is a clear theme in scripture. James 4, 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the, the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And this doesn't mean that we don't love anything here, that we don't love our, our family and our friends and our children, and that there's not joy to be found here at times, but it's a glimpse of what is to come that's greater. We don't long to stay here. We don't long to, to build something here that won't last. 
If we make those things our goal, we've traded the greatest thing for something that cannot compare. And the sad reality that Paul talks about in this passage is that there are many people who live this way in pursuit of the world and the things the world offers without shame or regret. Paul says that there are many who live as enemies of the cross. And I think this is abundantly clear. As you look around, it does not take long to realize that so many people in this world live their life opposed to God, opposed to His will, opposed to His, His Word. And, and the reality we have to understand is that we were once among them. That every person walked as an enemy of God, but because of what Jesus done has done for us, we can be saved. But still, there are those who walk as enemies of God. And Paul says he says this through tears. He said, I tell you, and again I tell you through tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why does he say this through tears? Because their end is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. And the reason he says this through tears is because on a daily basis you will encounter many of these people. They are your co-workers, your family members, your friends. Anyone who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ is living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. And that's hard. That's a hard reality. Because we love these people. We want them to know Christ. We're not talking only about the people that we would classify in our minds as the, the really bad people, the people that have done unspeakable things, unmentionable things. These are people living after the worldly things, living after their own desires rather than submitting to what God would have for them, rather than accepting the free gift of salvation that has been provided in Christ Jesus. So he says this through tears. He says it because his desire is that those people would be saved. And this is why we must share the gospel. This is why we must not be ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Our urgent prayer and desire should be for the salvation of the lost. Because this goal we are pursuing that is greater than every other thing, our salvation that is in heaven was bought by the blood of Christ. It is not something we earned. It is not something that we are entitled to because of our own merit. And we remember that we were once too enemies of God. Enemies far off in need of salvation. And so those today who walk as enemies of the cross, we should weep for them. We should be concerned for them for their eternity. But we should not be ashamed of the gospel because we do believe that it is the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes. When we go from this place and we share the gospel, it's not us, it's not our convincingness, it's not our eloquence of speech. Paul says that as he talks about going to one church, that he didn't come with eloquence of speech or convincing arguments, but the power of the gospel. If we will be faithful in presenting it and believe it is the power of God for salvation. We will see people be saved. We will see enemies of the cross become fellow citizens of heaven. And that should be a goal of every believer as we pursue our heavenly goal.
And we do all of this. We should make that a goal. We should not be ashamed because we are confident in what we will achieve. We are confident in the goal we are working toward. That our bodies will be transformed to be like Christ. That our ailments will be cured. Sin will be destroyed. Think about that. Our bodies fail us. Everybody's body fails them in this life. You're not able to do the things you once did. You'll, you'll be at the height of something and then you'll have something that will bring you down. But there will be a day when all of that will end. And we will be able to enjoy God forever. And we long for this day. But until we take a hold of it, until we realize the goal we're working for, we must be obedient, pursuing the goal and seeking to share the good news with as many as will listen. And so what I ask you today, what I challenge you with today, is what is the goal of your life? Is it this goal? Is it pursuing your eternal reward, pursuing God with everything that you are, that the ultimate drive of your life is that you know at the end of your life you'll stand before God and you'll, you'll seek to hear the words that Paul says that he, he will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, that we will achieve that goal. Is that what your goal is? Are you living your life, the things that you do, as though Christ is your goal? And a more important question that is, do you know Christ this morning? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Have you realized your sinfulness and, and, and submitted and surrendered your life to Christ and went to Him for salvation? Or are you consumed by this world? Because I promise you, He is better than anything that this world can offer. What is God specifically calling you to do in your life? How must you be faithful as you follow Him? Wherever you are this morning, as we come to this time of invitation, that's what I want to invite you to do, to reflect on your life, to reflect on the way you live, what God has called you to, and to see if you are being obedient to following Him as He leads. See if you're being obedient to living a life that is focused on their heavenly goal and obedience to Him. I'll be down front if anyone needs prayer or wants to talk about salvation. The altar is open prayer as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us and the example that we have through the life of Paul and others in Scripture and, and your word that you give us to show us what you expect of us. God, I pray this morning that as we come to this time that we would reflect on our lives that we would leave this place being more obedient to you, to surrendering to whatever you may be calling us to do in our life. And God, I pray that if any do not know you this morning, that if they have been living as an enemy of the cross, they've been living and going their own way, that today would be the day they would repent and turn and place their faith in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.